I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we dare our as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we, like Solomon, attempt to discern the fate of man. I'm Aaron Bishop, and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey guys, thanks for coming. And today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Now, I mentioned it last week, but we're really going to see it this week. The previous chapter, chapter 8, it really should have ended on verse 15. Verse 16 and verse 17 really fit with chapter 9 better than they do with chapter 8. The reason why they split it here, I really don't know. But when you really examine and get into the the depth of the text, it just flows so much better to have the break back at 16. Now, we're not going to actually start at 16. We talked about 16 already, though. So This week, we are going to be staying in chapter 9. And we'll just make the best of it. So, But it's okay. We'll be able to... Remember, we've got good enough memories. You have a good memory? Well, sort of. Sometimes. <laughs> Depends on what we're remembering. For today, anyway. As Laundry? Long, no. As long as it's not an anniversary, right? <laughs> hey, what in the world? <laughs> the topic this week, again, there's, just like last week, where there's like a singular topic of wisdom. There's a singular topic this week in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and it is the the fate of all mankind. This is a depressing topic. You know, I saw a picture, and it was two holes in the ground, and one said rich man, and one said a poor man, and that kind of sums up this entire chapter. All right. Well, you heard it here, so we'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, wait. No, we haven't even started. Um, but yeah, it's the it's the fate of mankind. It can be a depressing topic. It can be a heavy topic. Uh, we're going to try to not allow it to be heavy, but it's a necessary topic. It is something that we are all going to face. Uh, no one gets out of life alive, as the saying goes. So without further ado, let's go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's read the chapter, and then let's talk about this singular fate that awaits all mankind. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. For all this I laid on my heart, and to ascertain all this, that the righteous and the wise, as well as their works, are in the hand of God. Whether love or hatred, no one knows. Everything awaits them. Everyone shares the same destiny, for the righteous and the wicked, for the good, the ritually clean, and the defiled, for the one who sacrifices and one who does not sacrifice. As the good person, so the sinner. As the one who swears like the one who fears an oath. This is a misery in everything done under the sun, that the same destiny awaits everyone. Moreover, the hearts of all humans are full of evil, and folly is in their hearts during their lives. After that, they die. Everyone who is among the living has hope. Even a living dog is better than a dead lion. 
For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. Even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hatred, and their zeal have already perished. Never again will they have a share in anything that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with gladness, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your deeds. Let your clothes always be white, and do not spare oil on your head. Live joyously with the wife whom you love all the days of your fleeting life that he has given you under the sun during all your fleeting days. For this is your portion in life and in your toil that you labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your strength. For there is no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I further observed under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the mighty, nor does bread come to the wise, or wealth to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. For a time and chance befall them all. Moreover, no man knows his time, like fish caught in a fatal net, or birds caught in a snare. So people are trapped in a time of calamity that falls upon them suddenly. I also observed this as wisdom under the sun, and it greatly impressed me. There was a little city with a few people in it, and a mighty king came against it, surrounded it, and built great siege works against it. Now a poor wise man was found in it, and he delivered the city by his shrewdness, yet nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than a ruler's shout among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Death is a heavy, heavy subject. I feel like we should open with a joke just to lighten the mood. Do you have a joke? No, but I feel like we should open with one anyway. Well, okay. I don't have any good death jokes. Right. Well, let's make one up. A priest, and, a rabbi, and the Grim, and the Grim Reaper, Reaper walk walked into, into a, a bar. bar. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a, all no, that successful a joke. But the, the opening itself I may, maybe was worth it for you guys. Um, <laughs> at the end of the last chapter, Solomon said, I had searched all of this trying to find the bottom to wisdom, and I couldn't find the bottom to it. And, and then beginning of chapter 9, it says, and I took us all to heart even to search out all of this. So again, he's talking about the search that he's on. He searched out the depths of wisdom, and he found that there are limitations to wisdom. To humanity. To humanity, I mean, yeah. The wisdom will only take you so far. There's only so much it can do. And nobody can really know the depths of it. No one can really fully understand all things. Right. So this week he continues on with this other great equalizer of mankind. So he searched all this out, and he saw this, that the righteous, the wise, and their deeds are all in the hands of God, for no one knows whether love or hatred awaits him. Now, do you, think he's, do you think he's speaking of afterlife there? Uh, no, I don't. I don't feel that at all when I was reading that. I was thinking more along the lines of, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Mm, you never right. know what, you know, whether you're going to have your relationships are going to be great or you're going to have a, a really rough time with 
people that you meet or whatever, or you know, that kind of thing. Or right. you might have a just a terrible day. You hit all the red lights and fill your coffee and yeah, or yeah. worse. Or lo- lots, lots, or, or worse. worse. This goes on then to the, uh, the worse, uh, for it is the same for all. Everybody, everybody has it. One event to the righteous and to the wrong. Mine says everything awaits them. What does the end of your verse one say? Uh, no man knows whether love or hatred awaits him. Hmm. Mine says, whether love or hatred, no one knows. Everything awaits them. So maybe it's both. Interesting that it puts awaits in the second verse rather than the first verse. It's not whether love or hatred awaits him or that they both await him. It's that the singular fate is, is there. Is what's yeah, is, is coming. It's coming, right. And so it goes on, one event to the righteous and to the wrong and to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to the one who sacrifices, the one who doesn't sacrifice, as is the good one, so is the sinner, to the one who swears, as to the one who fears giving an oath. This doesn't matter who you are, what you do, you're not going to escape death. This part right here, just especially verses two and three, I feel like kind of sound like Solomon from Proverbs. It makes me think of the uh, the prosperity gospel. Oh, definitely later. Because the later verses you can have been used immensely for. No, I'm thinking that this actually refutes the prosperity gospel. Oh, okay. Because the yeah. prosperity gospel is, hey, you, you believe the gospel and God wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to have health. He wants you to have wealth. He wants you to have all these things. And Solomon's here saying, look, you don't know who or what or is happening. You can be mm-hmm. as righteous as you want. You're still going to die. You're still going to face sickness. You're still going to face hatred in your relationships. You're still going to face, you're going to face everything that every man faces. Right. He goes on later and says, it's all chance what fate awaits. Really? Yes. In verse, I think it's 11. Yeah. Verse 11. For time and chance meets with them all. Wow. He was talking about oh, the. Oh, yeah, it does. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I just read it, but still, that one slipped me. Yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of all up to chance that what you're going to face in your life. He's saying, doesn't matter who you are, you're facing Mm -hmm. this. It's not a, it's not a prosperity thing. You're not getting out of death by being a good person. Right. You're also not getting out of death by, by being evil. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the passage that always strikes me when people say, well, if you're not, if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. Or if you're sick, it's because it's because, you know, it's something how your fault uh, which is a terrible, terrible doctrine, um, it because is, it's victim shaming for one. It is so prevalent; it's disgusting, and I had it right. shoved down my throat. Right. So, anytime if anybody ever comes at you with that particular idea, uh, go to Second Kings and find the place where it says that the prophet Elisha was sick with the sickness that would kill him. Hmm. He died right. relatively early. He was sick for a time. Oh, was he not righteous enough? Did he not have enough faith to be healed? No. It was appointed that this was the time he was going to die. He was sick, and that sickness went further than his body could handle. It happens. It happens to everyone. So don't let anybody ever tell you you're sick because you don't have enough faith. Rebecca actually felt that for quite some time, even... Mm -hmm. Kind of from me. It was a place where I was when she was dealing with a lot of her sicknesses. It's a place yeah. that I got to was that she was doing it to herself. And it, uh, 
I mean, there was some truth to that. There was. But. But at the same time, it wasn't you who was doing it. We got to the yeah. root of it, and it wasn't it wasn't something that you chose. Chose, right. Right. It was something that your body was broken. The prosperity gospel is so damaging. It really Especially is. the people who are sick or people who don't have a lot of finances, who don't or, have skills. Or, or have some mental health issues. Right. Because that is a big deal. And people want to, oh, you're struggling with depression. Well, you know, you just don't have enough faith or... Or anxiety yeah, or... Any yeah. of those any of those things. And people just want to slap a little scripture verse on, band-aid on it and say, oh, everything's going to be fine now. And it's not. It's it's not something you can just super spiritualize and say, gotta do this, this, and this, and everything will be fine. No, we don't know. We don't know whether we're going to go through something terrible or whether we're going to be just fine. We None of us know. Our health and our mental state or whatever truly have no root in our spiritual state before God. Right. Right. This also points to the curse. We're all under the curse of sin and death. And verse 2 really gets to the point of death. Verse 3 actually gets to the point of the curse. This is an evil that's done under the sun. There is one event to everyone. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are filled with evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And then they die. So he's getting to that uh, under the curse of sin. Yeah, he's getting to the heart of it. Men's hearts are desperately wicked, as Jeremiah puts it. Right. And Solomon's saying the same thing here. Men, when we're alive, our hearts are wicked. But trust your heart. Evilly inclined. Well, that, yes, so the Disney doctrine of trust your heart, that your heart always knows, is such, it is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Okay, yeah, that's probably better. (laughs) I was trying to not use bad words. (laughs) It It is a lie from the pit of hell. Your heart and your feelings cannot guide you. The the Jedi mind trick of what do your feelings tell you is such a terrible, terrible mm-hmm. way to approach life. Right. Because your feelings will lie to you. Yes. That is that is an absolute fact. In fact, I can prove it. I'll tell you a story. So we went through an issue in our marriage, nearly broke up. In fact we spent a month separated and uh, after that month, we decided that we were going to tough it out, that we were going to work through it, that we were going to uh, try to make things better. A few weeks into our reunification, Rebecca was on the phone talking to a friend, and she calls me into the room and asks me a question, a simple benign question. I didn't know the answer to it off the top of my head. So I said, just a moment, I'll be back. Let me go look up the answer. Let me go find the answer for you, and uh, I'll be back. So I go to the other room, I find the answer, I come back, and as I walk back into the room, I hear her say, well, I didn't want to talk to you anyway. Maybe not in that tone of voice, but that was the (laughs) tone of voice that I heard it in. And I got angry, like this anger in the pit of my stomach just boiled up inside of me. I got so mad at her because she had asked me to do this thing. And yeah, I didn't say goodbye or give her a kiss or anything like that on my way to go find it. (laughs) And I walk back and suddenly she's mad at me, saying, dissing me, saying, well, I didn't want to talk to you anyway, as if I had dissed her. And I got so mad. 
So you want to hear the other side and of that I story? And I ran to my office and slammed the door and just got really upset. So while Aaron was out of the room, my friend's two-year-old took the throne from her hand and starts babbling and then threw the phone across the room. So I was like, that's okay. I didn't want to talk to you anyway. <laughs> and Aaron walks in right at the end of that statement. And I wasn't even talking to him. I was talking to a toddler. Actually, I was talking to not a toddler. I was talking to the wall that she threw the phone at. <laughs> right. So my feelings told me I was being dissed, that I was being disrespected, that I was being treated very lightly, that, uh, that she was upset at me and which then made me in turn upset at her. And it was all based on a lie. Your feelings will lie to you. Your heart is not your North star. It's not your guide. Your heart will lie to you. Folly is in their heart. Do not trust it. Do not trust it. I know you've heard it a thousand times the other way from Disney, so I'm going to repeat it a few more times just to counteract <laughs> that. Do not trust it. Don't trust Do your heart. Do not trust your heart. It is evil and wicked and will lead you to all sorts of terrible, terrible conclusions. Okay, Aaron, anyway, so what can we trust? What can we trust? We can trust the Word of God. That is one thing that we can absolutely trust. Now, in that particular situation, I could have trusted our covenant, I could have trusted the decision that she had made or that we had made to work through things and to seek each other's good. Mm -hmm. But I, those were in the past in the moment, and I didn't trust those because my heart was lying to me. But there are things that you can trust. Your heart's not one of them. And when uh, you go off on the deep end, when you get offended, when you think someone's trying to hurt you, there's a good chance that your heart's lying to you. Yep. And it's a good time to stop and check yourself. Anyway, uh, it's time to get off that soapbox, but uh, such an important. <laughs> it's a really such good an important soapbox. Thing, uh, such an important uh, um, lesson that we have to learn is we can't trust our hearts. Folly is in their hearts during their lives. And then they die. And then they die. Right. That's, that is the state of man. That's the state of us all. But for him who has lived, joined to the living... There is trust, mine says. Yours used a different phrase there. Hope. There is Everyone hope. who is among the living has hope. All right. So the ESV says hope. Bitachon. So bitachon is the word, and it means trust, confidence, or hope. Ah, both and. Okay. So the root you know. word. Uh, so, so here's something about Hebrew that you may not know. Every word has a three consonant root. Betachon, we can know that that's not a root word simply because it's got more than three letters. Mm -hmm. Root words and the words that are derived from the roots are not 100% the same words. However, we can kind of get a base idea for the word through the root. Right. That being said, Hebrew is also a very idea or a word picture or something. Concrete. There's a con yes, it's a very concrete language. Very few abstract terms. If there's an abstract idea, it's always derived from something that is concrete. Uh, for example, the word glory is the same as the word heavy. 
the idea that glory or honor is something that's heavy, it's something that's weighty, it's something that, that means something. And so the abstract idea of glory comes from the concrete idea of weighty. So this particular word, batachon, comes from the Hebrew word batach. Its concrete meaning means to run for refuge. Ooh. So you're you're running nice. for the thing that you trust for. You hope and your right. hope is in the refuge that you're you're running for. And uh, it has meanings of to be bold or to be secure, to cause to trust or to make secure, uh, to trust in, or to have confidence in something. But it, the concrete That's meaning for all word. of those, yeah, the, the concrete meaning for all of those abstract ideas is to run for a refuge, which is a uh, it gives you that that. That image, the action mm-hmm. that's associated with this word, this abstract idea, that really helps to understand the depth of the idea. I love the depth that can be conveyed in words in Hebrew because yeah. they do have those root words that have that concrete visual, and I'm a very visual person, uh, visual kind of concept. And then the abstract grows from that and but it's never just one word it's always has multiple meanings a lot of depth to right, it right so personally i would use the word hope uh it might be mm-hmm. more a uh just a cultural thing uh trust works as well it's a legitimate translation but the idea of hope uh for he, he who's joined to the living there's hope you're you're, you're alive Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's right. this that's the literal statement of as long as there's breath in my lungs there's hope right which is I'm not dead yet right i'm not <laughs> dead yet i can still fight i can still go i can still change things i can still live i can still uh i can still be right which is which is super yeah. important even and, a living dog is better than a dead lion that's okay. kind of fun i like that so, yeah so here's another thing that you may not know in hebrew cultures dogs were not welcome Right, they were they were not pets. I don't, they were. I don't, I don't care what the chosen and... has to say about Matthew having a dog, uh, and maybe he did. You know that might, it's it's an interesting thing. But everybody looks down on him for having the dog, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Dogs were culturally unacceptable as as pets. They they were wild, feral things. They're hunters. The lion, however, was this being that was this creature full Majestic. of honor and might yes. and glory it's 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 powerful it's like the screaming eagle for the american you did not cross the lion unless you're david and the lion's crossing you well okay but, <laughs> but you know what i'm saying I, it's, yes it's... yeah yeah the lion was the fearsome the the fearsome predator and uh and there is actual evidence that lions did live in the land of Israel. Uh, so contrary to some attempts to try and say, oh, the Bible's not true. There's there's lions. And yes, they, they did live in that area at this time. With that being said, the, the lion. So what he's saying here is better is a living dog, a, a, a living creature, creature of shame than it, you know, a it, dead creature of absolute honor. We would think of maybe a vulture or or a rat. Right. Not really pets. Right. And and I think he's getting down to it that despite your station in life, when you're dead, even the lowest of living creatures is better off than you at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
It's a very uh, depressing way to look at things. Well, but keep reading because why is that? Because the dead don't know anything. Are done. There's no more. uh, They never again will they have a share in anything that is done under the sun. They have perished. All of their thoughts and their love, their hatred, their envy, their zeal. Their memory, everything is gone. Right, so that reminds me of a psalm, one of my favorites, not my absolute favorite. One of my favorites is Psalm 146. It's one of the psalms that's traditionally read every Shabbat. It's a very powerful psalm, but it begins, Hallelujah, praise Adonai, O my soul. I will, while I live, I will praise. So it's the speaking Mm -hmm. of the living. I will sing praises to my God while I exist. Do not put your trust in princes and the son of man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit goes out and he returns to the earth. And in that day, his plans perish. It's mm-hmm. the exact same idea there in the psalmist. Yeah. That there's no hope in the dead. There's no living in the dead. But this, when you're alive, there's this praising God that you can do that, that can be a central part of your life. So praying to saints dead people praying ancestor worship to your ancestors baptizing for your ancestors it's not really gonna help right they're they're done their thoughts have perished and they have ceased and they're no more and uh if they are in a place of of holding if they are in heaven they're not worried about what we're doing here. They know God's got it in control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any kind of uh, dealing with the dead, that's it, what the Bible calls ne- necromancy. Uh, speaking to the dead, trying to pray to the dead, um, mediums and necromancy. And, and Deuteronomy really it has some, has uh, some terrible some things, things to say about uh, people who practice those things. Yeah. Uh, so th- just want to make sure that you avoid uh, doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so verse seven then. So here's some advice from Solomon because you're going to die. We're Eat, all going to die. Drink and be merry. Eat, drink and be merry with, yes, go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a glad heart for God has already approved of your works. How do you know God's approved of your works? Because you've got bread to eat and you've got wine, you wine to, to drink, drink and you, you've got uh, joy in your heart and gladness. That's how you know. That's it. You've got food on your table. Um, but you can't take this verse out of context well, right. and just be this free this spirit. Every, yeah, everything's fine. That verse has to come with a healthy dose of, hey, guess what? You are going to die. And Well, but that's actually where this it's taken from is because the quote is, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we will die. Well, but that is much more of a hedonist idea. Right. I, I only have one day to live. You well, it's, know? it's the modern YOLO. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But that's not what this verse is meaning. It's no. meaning, hey, enjoy your life while you have it. Right. But remember that, you know. You're not always going to have it. Yeah. Yes, see life with the wife whom you love all the days of your futile life which she's given you under the sun. 
my life is futile and your life is futile, but we're going to enjoy this futile life together. <laughs> those are some, those are some words. Uh, we need to, we should make a greeting card. We should card make greeting company. cards. Yep. Yes. Or yep. t-shirts. T-shirts will work. Ecclesiastes yeah. greeting cards. We could totally get a whole line of grief cards and oh, romance man. cards. We would, no. <laughs> that's a, that's a no. <laughs> we would never. That actually make... might do really well. No. <laughs> no. If one if one of you uh, decides to start an Ecclesiastes based dre- greeting card company or or, or what, Wisdom of Solomon greeting card company, I think maybe we get we get some uh, some royalties off of that. The Babylon Bee might pick that up if if they sold it, people would buy it. That's that's actually probably true. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes, for that is your share in life and your toil which you have labored under the sun. So yes, you toil, you labor, you bring forth fruit, you you eke out an existence from the ground and God has given you the blessings of food and drink and companionship. Enjoy it. That's right. your reward for, for your work. The question is, can that be enough? And what I think, do you mean? Uh, because everybody's always trying for more. And oh, I, just we're be always, satisfied with what you have? Right, right. Can you be satisfied with food, drink, and companionship of a spouse or good friends? Mm. Is that enough? Well, that has at times in our life been all we've had. That's true. Well, but I, I'm not saying that necessarily to us, but in, to the listener. Well, I understand that. But my point was that when that when we were in that place, it kind of wasn't for right. us. Right. You know, and I don't know whether that's just the state of man or whether that's because we were just in a really bad place at the moment or whether it was a test that we needed to go through you know i I don't know yeah and uh it's uh it's very easy when you're doing without or when when you feel like you lack Mm -hmm. and uh i'll tell you a little secret often lack is usually experienced in comparison. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you look at everybody else and they have all this stuff. They've got the Netflix subscription. They've got the date nights. They've got the good food. They've got the, um, you know, the nice car. They've got... Or, or even comparing to what you used to have. Right, right. And then you look at what you have now and you're like, wow, I have so little. I lack Mm-hmm. But you're not comparing yourself to the people in the bush in Africa. You're not right. comparing yourself to the people of even a hundred years ago who would have wished for a car. They had horses and buggies and were if they were lucky were eking out or a living, were not just walking. Right, and the vast majority of people were eking out livings and some various profession that forced them to work sixty to eighty hour weeks. Right, so. You actually have it good. If you are poor in the modern world, you actually have it really good. The uh, the challenge then is to be content with it, especially mm-hmm. when faced with the comparison of others who have more. Right. And I think that kind of gets to the 10th command, the command about do not envy. Yeah. Um, be content with what you have, with where you're at. Uh, moving on. All that your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom where you're going. Now, again, this reminds me of yet another passage. Uh, 
All that you do, do it as if doing it for the Lord. Right. Says the Apostle Paul, which is a, a wonderful idea. You're not doing it for your paycheck. You're not doing it for your boss. You're not doing it to make the world a better place. You're doing it for God. Right. And I, I think if we can get to that place in our minds, uh, we could really uh, improve our own lives, our own mental stability. Uh, so again, under the sun. So he's going to kind of reiterate here the same ideas that we just went over, only he's going to use different metaphors. Right. He's going to use different yeah, situations. Absolutely. So I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, you know, that's the tortoise and the hare right there, nor the mm -hmm. battle to the mighty. Uh, there's David and Goliath. David and Goliath, right. Nor even the bread to the wise. We can look at the widow that Elisha visited and, oh, yeah, and uh, filled all of the jars with, with oil. Out of all of the people starving in the famine, she was the one that was taken care of. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't wise or rich or powerful or honorable. Um, she so was a widow. She was yeah. a widow and had only a single son. Uh, nor even riches to men of understanding. There are plenty of really intelligent, smart people out there who are dirt poor. Yep. And uh, there's a bit of a correlation there because often people will get so consumed with what they know that they'll forget to do anything mm. with it or they'll not know how to get it done. Even grace to men of knowledge. That says favor to right. the skillful. Favor to the skill skillful. Again, you may be really good at your job. You may not get favor. You may not be looked on kindly. You might be passed over. You might yeah. be passed over. Absolutely. For time and chance meets with them all. As your befalls them. befalls them, time yeah. and chance befalls them, and this is where we we see yeah. Solomon is really getting to the idea that uh, there's there is a bit of happenstance in this world. Right. So he is seeing death and taxes. <laughs> you oh, know, right. It's it keeps going. No one knows when his time is. A fish like a fish caught in a net or birds in a snare. People who are trapped in a time of calamity. It comes on them suddenly. And that's exactly what we, we've we seen in our world. You know, just right. even recently, people are perfectly at ease going about their day. And, oh, look, there's an active shooter in the building that we're sitting in or whatever. You know, it's, there's a car plowing through the crowd or there's a... It's all over the place. Yeah. And it's it's ridiculous how many I've heard of just even just recently. Right. We don't know... Tomorrow. We are not promised tomorrow. We have no knowledge of what time, when our time is going to come. Yes, that is. Or even just truth. when when a time of calamity happens. Because you don't necessarily die. Not everybody dies in those situations. But the trauma is, is a very real thing. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And it is, it is a sudden thing, you know? Yeah, I think you kind of said it all. So continuing on, I saw this as wisdom under the sun, and it was great to me. A little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, and he built huge siege works against it. And there was found in it a poor wise man, and by his wisdom he delivered the city, and yet no one remembered that poor man. Mm. So he's he's creating a scenario here. He's telling a story. It's a parable. Pretty much. But the, the story is that uh, history favors the the wealthy and the wise and the rich. And that even this, this wise man who saved a city, 
because he was poor and was unimportant, he just kind of got forgotten about. Right. And the, the victory went to the king. The victory went to his great knights. It makes me think of the two beggars who found the all of the food and all of the things uh, of yes. the Syrian army. Right. So you're you're talking about when Assyria attacked the northern kingdom. They took the northern kingdom into exile, and then they continued south to Jerusalem, defeated all of the fortresses around Jerusalem, and then came and besieged Jerusalem, and the bread ran out to the point where women were eating their own children, and uh, you couldn't find bread in the city, and it was just terrible, terrible, Horrifying. terrible. And the prophet Isaiah came to the king mm -hmm. and told him, Hey, tomorrow, by tomorrow, bread's going to be, gonna be a reasonable price. It's going to be everywhere. And then overnight, the entire... And they scoffed at him. Right. The next day, the entire army was defeated. 185,000 men dead in the Assyrian army. And they turn around and go home. And two beggars. And two beggars. Two men with leprosy, lepers. I believe. Yeah. Yes. Standing lepers, outside the city. Right. Find this great bounty. And they go and they tell the city... And they're kind of forgotten. Well, they're not completely, clearly, they're not, they're, because they're we're talking about written up, but we now. don't know their names. Right. And by the people of the city, they, they were completely forgotten. They probably would have been. Yeah, absolutely. Because in the rush to go out to the camp, there were people who were trampled to death. So, yeah, uh, it is. that's also the story that kind of came to my mind when, I was, right. when the story was told about the, the siege of the city with few people in it, and it was delivered. But in this case, it was delivered by God. Mm -hmm. You know, the beggars found the food. They didn't deliver the city. But, right. uh, but yeah, it's it's a very similar type story, which happened uh, several centuries after Solomon. Mm -hmm. All right, and then finishing out, and I said, Wisdom is better than might, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise spoken calmly should be heard rather than the shout of the ruler of fools. All right, so he's he's building these dichotomies mm -hmm. here, the poor man and the rich man. Um, better is wisdom than might. So you have the wisdom of a poor man who's despised, and his words are not hurt. Why? Well, because he's poor. So he has no honor. So Obviously, we're not pay any attention to because him. he's poor, he doesn't. He's not wise. Right. I mean, we can look at him and see the evidence. Right there, he's yeah. poor. And that's How the biggest thing. Be poor? People, How could he be poor if he's wise? People don't like to hear stuff from someone they don't think is successful. They don't, you I know. I think that's, that's one of the reasons that God has his prophets be poor. Mm-hmm. Or do really crazy things. Like Isaiah had to go around naked. Ezekiel had to lay on his side and play with toys in Six the midst toys. of the city and, and, and eat, eat bread, bread baked over Ooh. over dung in the middle midst of the thriving Jerusalem. Yeah, well, Ezekiel thriving, bread, y'all. Mm, read um, the whole passage. <laughs> Jeremiah was a young, unmarried man. Hosea and Gomer. Yes, Hosea was married to a prostitute. Uh, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness and ate Locusts and honeys and, honey. and dressed in camel hair. I mean, God sends his prophets as the poor. Mm -hmm. And they come with great wisdom and people don't listen to them. Because they don't want to hear truth from, the, from a poor man's mouth. And yet, from the poor and from the lowly is the place where truth 
is to be found. They want to hear it from the Joel Osteens and the... And the Dalai Lamas and the, the Popes and the the President. Well, yeah, and the, they want to hear it from people who are... Matthew McConaughey. Famous and popular. Right. Because if they're famous and popular, God must have smiled on them. You right. Know. Right. Or, you know, alternatively, the, the devil came to, came to them and said, if you got out of worship to me, all this can be yours. Well, let's not <laughs> just inherently make that statement. I'm just saying, alternatively. It, mm -hmm. it, there are those that I'm sure that happen. But, uh, but, yeah, we need to be careful that we don't reject a message, a, a wisdom from someone simply based on their, their status. Their financial status or right. their social status. Or their social status or, or their... Looks. The way they fit into the to a community or into a culture. I know some really awkward people. Right. Who are absolutely a hundred percent filled with the Holy Spirit and have great insight and wisdom. Right. And they're awkward and they don't they don't feel comfortable around crowds and they don't feel comfortable even on a one on one. And they just but that's okay, you know? Right. And the next one, there's the second dichotomy. The word of the wise spoken calmly should be heard rather than the shout of the fool. Uh, we often hear the message that's shouted the most, shouted from the rooftops, shouted from the media, shouted from Hollywood. We mm -hmm. hear those messages loud and clear. And most of those are junk. Right. And we often overlook the the simple person speaking calmly sharing wisdom and we don't pay attention to them at least society i won't say all oh, you don't because if you're listening to this then <laughs> <laughs> right then there's and a chance that really you, you're listening about... to the calm people who are, who are kind of a uh, not going along with the the status quo as it were and then the chapter finishes wisdom is better than weapons of conflict but one sinner destroys much good uh, so this is the, I think, the bad apple. Mm, you can have yeah. uh, many righteous men and one bad apple. And that one bad apple is going to spoil the whole bunch. Yeah. This is the, the traitor in your midst. This is the, the Judas in the in the twelve. This is, you know, this is the sinner that's in the midst of. Well, and we're talking about wisdom specifically. Right. So. I think it really is kind of a warning against taking the wisdom that seems to be wisdom, but it's not. Because if you act upon wrong information, you're going to have a lot of struggle and trial and tribulation. And if you, you know, listen to a teacher that's going to lead you astray... It's going to cause a lot of hurt and heartache, not mm -hmm. just for you, but for anyone that you touch. I mean, uh, quite frankly, there's a lot of bad teachings out there. And, and Absolute truth. they Especially might even be being taught from a sincere heart. But that person learned it from somebody else who learned it from somebody else. And it's just being passed on and on and on and on. With blinders on, accepting it, and it's 
doing damage right. and and they don't even recognize that they're doing it. I don't think these people are necessarily just right and we and I think a good example of that is the uh, all of the many teachings that have come out of the Alexander Hislop to Babylons. Oh, absolutely. The, we uh, were caught up in that and that stuff was the, the terrible the uh, relationship fossilized customs. The stuff in those books is not true. It and it's been made debunked up. It's been so debunked many times. multiple times. It's been debunked by historians, archaeology, uh, even by people who were fully bought into it. Uh, there's there's one man, I think his last name is Lawrence, who uh, wrote a book supporting two Babylons and then actually got into studying it and looking into the historical record and realized, oh, this is false, and then wrote a book debunking two Babylons. Nice. And unfortunately... His book supporting to Babylon still sells better than the one that than the one, it. of course it does because right. people want right the uh, the but the outrageous there's so many teachers out there who are still passing off this two Babylon's nonsense mm-hmm. as truth Absolutely. and if and, uh, I'll just give you a few things from it and you can uh, you can determine whether or not you've heard this uh, Nimrod married Semiramis. And they had a baby named Tammuz. And mm-hmm. the baby Tammuz died and then resurrected and came back and was a, a bunny. Uh, or came back after 40 days as a rabbit that laid eggs. That's two, two Babylons. The ancient Egyptians would sacrifice children and dip the eggs in the blood of the children. That's, That's two, two Babylons. Babylons. They're lies. They're absolute lies. They are just 100% made up. But mm-hmm. there's so many people still teaching it to this day because they heard it from somebody that they trusted. And because it had agreed with what they wanted to hear. With their It tickled their ears. Yeah. And so they were, they accepted it without question. So one sinner destroys much good. Oh, man. One, one bad set of wisdom. Right. Right, and uh, frankly, the Torah movement is destroying itself because we're allowing people who have these easily debunked ideas be set up as teachers and arbiters of truth. Mm-hmm. And it makes us look foolish to the world because these, these people who think they know what they're talking about Sincerely believe what they what they believe, and are and are associated wrong. with the Torah movement, and then are spouting falsehoods, right. which are so easily debunked, it and it, it makes us all good. look terrible. So, yeah. With that said, what we, can we do about it? I don't know. We what can, can speak we do truth. about it? We can speak truth. We can search it out. We can seek to know what is right. Right. And truly check sources before we start reposting. And and we can begin to correct when when we we encounter it. Well, and when we have learned something wrong and believed something wrong, we can go back and say, no, we don't believe that. So, yeah, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It's uh, full of a bunch of wisdom. Imagine that. And it feels a little bit disjointed in some ways, and, and then in other ways it's 
very fluid. I don't right. know how to really describe that, but that happens in many places throughout the Bible where mm-hmm. we think that uh, things are just kind of happenstance or slapdash together. But then we get the key to unlock it, and suddenly, mm-hmm. oh wow, it makes so much more sense. Right, uh, like the Book of Deuteronomy. Oh, it's yeah, absolutely. It looks like just a whole hodgepodge of commands until you recognize that the Ten Commandments act as an index or a table of contents for all of the random, seemingly random commands that occur from chapter eleven through chapter twenty-six. And then that's the and key. And then once you and have that key, it it's it just, oh, it makes so much sense, and it just all falls together. So, yeah, it, it might seem a little random, but it's not. So, yeah, death, it's a heavy topic. One thing that we can be sure of, though, uh, because of Messiah, is that uh, when our physical bodies end, it is not the end. Right, and that's something that's kind of lacking in this whole chapter, right. because... He is dealing with the very physical, tangible world around him. He is not dealing with afterlife at all. I'm not even certain that he had any real picture of the afterlife. Right. Um, but we know that... We know that, that there's there more. is more. And uh, with that, we can base our hope. That there is hope in the living, and God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And guess who he's the God of? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and me, and you. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though our flesh may fail, we will still live just as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still live. And just as Yeshua still lives. So enjoy the bounty that God has for you. And, this, and uh, enjoy, rejoice, even if it's not bountiful, and it's... Not pleasant, because we do need to rejoice. Be content. And be content. And as you learn these lessons of of joy and in what you have and contentment in the the little, uh, continue to seek life in all that you do. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we dare as we seek life. Shalom.